At times, my content may be upsetting to some and for mature audiences. Listener discretion advised. We're going to just jump right into amusement park deaths. I'm going to tell you a few harrowing, real-life stories of amusement park rides gone tragically wrong. I'll also be breaking down what you might experience if you were to find yourself in a similar unfortunate circumstance. I'll be using a little science, as well as survivor stories, autopsy reports, and medical case studies to help explain what happens to the body in these extreme situations. Please know that amusement park deaths are incredibly rare, and most often due to human error. Couple things to keep in mind before we dive into the really dark, interesting stuff is that you have better odds of having conjoined twins, going to the emergency room with a pogo stick injury, becoming president of the United States being killed by bees without an allergy, and becoming a movie star than dying on a roller coaster. This first story is pretty damn unbelievable. It's hard to wrap my head around how something like this could happen. It was July 24th, 1930. I would love to think that something like this wouldn't happen today, but I was pretty dismayed to find out there have been similar incidences in recent years. Allow me to set the scene. You're at Krug Park in Omaha, Nebraska, and next in line to ride the famed Big Dipper roller coaster. You've never been on one before, they're so hard to find. In fact, you've driven over 300 miles just to get here to try it out. It's just past dinner time and your tummy is rumbling, but there's no way in hell you're going to forfeit your spot in line to eat. Plus, you've heard it's best to ride this thrill vertical machine on an empty stomach. The gate opens once again, and the worker ushers you and your friends through to get into your car. Your nerves are buzzing, and you feel like you could do cartwheels out of excitement. You have just a tiny pang of fear, but only because you have no idea what to expect. You hop in and fasten your safety belt. You look over at your best friend, who looks petrified. Are we going to die, she asks with a serious look that could freeze over summer. Hell no, you answer. Both of you nervously giggle over the fact that you used a curse word. An attendant comes by to make sure that you are secure. He makes a gesture with his hand to signal the go-ahead. You begin slowly climbing. You hear a click, click, click with each foot that you ascend. You become fascinated with the car and track below you. How does this work, you wonder? It feels like forever. As you creep up to the highest point, your friend is not doing well. She's digging her hand, nails drawn into your thigh, muttering, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Right at the top, you hear a metal ping, followed by an angry groan as if the track itself is crying. It's the kind of noise that you hear at the beginning of a high-pressure storm. Suddenly, you feel an insane jolt, as if you've been hit with a speeding golf cart. This is the point that you give yourself permission to be concerned. This doesn't seem right. Then, you look to your side and realize you're now staring up at the track. Your car's left side wheels are dangling in the air, but you're still moving. You clench your eyes shut for a moment, but you're flooded with an intense stomach drop sensation in your guts. You're plummeting fast towards the ground. Little did you know that as you were making your way up towards the top, a bolt came loose. The heavy vibrations of the car on the track caused it to spin all the way out. You wouldn't think a single bolt could wreak such havoc, but it set off a deadly chain reaction. It's final destination worthy for sure. In all of the chaos of the car slipping off the track and attempting to descend somehow, the brake shoe on the front car became lodged in the wheel of the rear car, making the connected cars one big unsteady circle. The moment that it hooked, they all tipped right off of the track and fell straight down 35 feet. Three of the four cars landed upside down, trapping the passengers. Because the 35-foot drop's possible to survive, plunging and landing upside down greatly reduces the odds. 
In the end, four passengers died and 17 were gravely injured. Turns out, you never should have promised your best friend that you weren't going to die. 35 feet might not seem super intimidating, but remember you're in a falling coaster cart. When you fall from any decent height, your weight's going to increase upon deceleration or impact. You're going to have to contend with a decent level of gravitational force. On top of all that, your speeds are going to be very high on your way down. You aren't going to have enough time to reach terminal velocity, but you don't need to in order to die. And let's not forget heavier objects fall faster than light ones. So you're going to hit that ground at higher speeds than if you were just falling on your own, especially because you're belted into that heavy car. Some pretty disturbing things are going to happen to you upon impact. For one, you're going to absorb a lot of bone-crushing shock. Keep in mind there are many variables involved in an accident like this, like how you land, if you're tensed up, if you already suffer from conditions that make your bones more brittle, or even if you're drunk. That means the end results will vary. Some people seem to defy the laws of science and end up with minimal injury in a situation like this, but in most cases, it's going to be catastrophic. When you hit that sudden stop to moving, there's a high probability that your blood vessels, especially the ones near the surface, will burst. If you experience it in multiple areas, that's going to give way to serious internal bleeding right out of the gate. If enough of them are affected, it will slow or even halt transportation of oxygen to your internal organs. That's why patients who experience extreme hypovolemic shock or shock from blood loss often experience ramifications of organ failure. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because there's already a great chance that some of these organs are going to blow upon impact as well. Your spleen, kidneys, and small bowel are most likely to rupture. But if impact is great enough, even your brainstem or heart can burst, which will cause instant brain death or death. Additionally, your juiciest arteries, like your aorta, can not only burst, but can completely disconnect from your heart. But unless your heart or parts of your brain rupture, this will not be an instant death. You'll have to endure your agony at least long enough to bleed out. Shock will no doubt help. Of course, you'll have a number of broken bones. Not just broken, but shattered. If you happen to fall in the car that turns over, a traumatic brain injury is an imminent threat. Your skull can shatter and penetrate your brain tissue. But how would all of this feel? Luckily, most survivors of big falls do not remember the pain of initial impact. Our bodies do a lot of great things for us in the area of sudden and traumatic pain, but it's only a temporary defense. If you've ever been in a car accident, you likely remember time slowing way down and being completely unaware that you're injured at first. As moments or sometimes minutes pass, you start to tune into your body like it's a jumbo sound fork that begins ringing in isolated areas. Waves and waves sweep over your senses. It's as if nerves and only part of you are springing back to life. Eventually, every raw feeling will catch up with you. You'll experience layers of sensations. This will include electrical pings shooting in every direction from your shattered bones. Any attempt at movement will just inflame that deep searing. Also, all of that internal bleeding will cause a reaction of internal inflammation. Blood's very aggravating to our tissue. This will cause you to feel a lot of intense cramping and pressure. You'll also get a little bit of a human crush experience. Though you aren't necessarily being compressed, unless you're in a turned over car, your muscle cells will likely begin to die due to inadequate blood supply. And your actual cells have already or are actively dying in several areas of your body. Your nerves can even go a little cattywampus. They can almost misfire in a way, sending strange signals of wetness, cold, a tickle, or heat to your brain. But pain's not the only kind of sensation that you'll be contending with. 
For one, severe physical trauma can cause shock and it can be dangerous in itself. Your blood pressure might tank rapidly, your heart rate will become erratic. What makes these sensations more intense is the fact that you're losing a lot of blood. Hypovolemic shock can basically feel incredibly disgusting. I've personally experienced rapid blood loss from gastric bleeding. I've had hundreds of bleeding erosions in my stomach lining, and it was, of course, painful, but it was the sensation that I was being pulled towards the ground and that I was shrinking that felt the worst to me. I didn't know whether I was going to blow chunks or pass out. I began profusely sweating. I couldn't even sit up on my bathroom floor. Eventually, I knew that I was dying. Of course, I had left my cell phone upstairs in my bedroom where I couldn't get to it. But I'm here talking to you, so obviously I survived. You'll eventually reach a point where even just existing will be utterly exhausting. Your heart will attempt to overwork to make up for everything around it, basically flailing. You'll get so winded from just trying to draw in a breath. And you won't be able to speak because it will deplete the trace amount of gas left in your tank. You will literally just wish to fall into a deep, deep sleep, knowing that it will probably be forever. Of course, there's a chance that you'll be knocked out cold on impact or will die immediately upon deceleration, which will not allow you time to experience any of this in the first place. And yes, death on impact does mean no pain. Our brains need at least 13 milliseconds to process sensation at minimum. Without that time, there is no sensation. You know, I can't talk about amusement park freak deaths without talking about the verroqued water slide in Kansas City. It's no longer standing, which is for the best. This slide was a huge safety issue. It was obviously a rush job. Nobody understands that better than the family of a sweet little boy named Caleb. Marketed as the world's tallest water slide, it stood at just over 168 feet tall and had two steep drops. The ride used three-person blow-up rafts and riders had to climb a 264-step staircase to reach the tippy top. I can only imagine the shrill of excitement in your belly as you start climbing your way up. As you reach the top, you feel a pang of pressure from the height, and that excitement will likely transform into a bit of adrenaline-induced fear and reluctance. I wonder if Caleb felt a little nag in his belly to turn around once near the top. It was August 7th, 2016, and Caleb was just a little too short of the height requirements to ride the slide. There are numerous accounts as to why he was granted passage, but the only thing we know for certain is he should have never been allowed on. With him in his blow-up raft were two girls that were a little older. They were strangers to Caleb, but he simply couldn't go down the ride by himself. Everything went swimmingly in the beginning. The raft slowly slid along the conveyor at the top and was released to plummet down the caged watery thrill. The first drop just sent the three cruising with that stomach drop sensation. They remained on the track of the slide. Once they hit that second hill with the gusto of the rushing water, height, and low-weighted kids, they went completely airborne. On some slides, this would just be part of the fun, but this was not supposed to happen on this one. Unfortunately, the cage designed to keep kids from flying off of the slide was just as deadly as leaving it completely open. It was made of metal. Caleb's head impacted a metal beam, of course, attached to a boundary cage, and with the velocity and the forces that were, he never stood a chance. He near instantly suffered internal decapitation. What that means is that though Caleb's head remained attached externally, internally, it did not. The ligaments that attached his skull to his spine were completely severed. There are a few accounts from a lifeguard that actually claimed his head was not completely attached externally. He could see from a distance that he had been pretty cleanly decapitated. Regardless, his injury was fatal. But was it an instant death like so many reporters claimed? 
First of all, this type of injury has actually been survived before. It's incredibly rare. Internal decapitation has an impossibly high mortality rate. The cause of death is often damage to the brainstem. Without those ligaments to keep everything in place, the structures of your head can move around in a violent manner. Because the brainstem is located near the base of the skull, that movement can pinch it, causing traumatic injury. Considering the speed at which he was thrown down that slide after impacting that beam, it would be remarkable if his head actually did remain externally attached and did not obtain brainstem damage. In all likelihood, his head was thrown back as he raced down the remainder of the slide. I think that he was dead before reaching the bottom, but it still may not have actually been over. In a clean decapitation, the brain can remain conscious for up to six to 14 seconds after removal. This is because the brain's powered by oxygen. When decapitated, new oxygen can no longer reach it, but there's still some in reserve in the blood cells that are located from the neck up. This seems to continue to power the brain for up to one full minute. Numerous studies, extensive studies, have been done on rats. Though the brains sometimes had activity for as long as a minute, it greatly reduced around the 6 to 14 second mark, meaning it's likely the moment that the lights go up forever. That being said, Caleb did not only obtain internal decapitation, but also severe blunt force trauma to the head. Because of this, it's safe to assume that he was completely gone with absolutely no conscious awareness by the time he reached the bottom of the slide. In September 2000, a tragic accident that resulted in death occurred at Disneyland. It's worth mentioning that the Disney parks have a low incident rate as a whole compared to other parks. I think what makes this particular death so disturbing is the fact that the boy didn't die on the day of the accident. He didn't even die that same year. He died eight years later, after a long struggle with brain damage and severe health ramifications. The boy was only four years old when he took a ride on the attraction, which is known as a dark ride. Basically, if a train, tilt-a-whirl, and haunted house were in a thruple and somehow procreated with all their DNA, you would get the Roger Rabbit cartoon spin ride. The boy was with his mother at the time he dropped an unknown item, but as he bent down to grab it, he fell headfirst out of the car. He was ran over and pinned beneath the machine for over 10 minutes. He was eventually saved, but the damage was already done. He suffered severe brain injury, resulting from blunt force trauma. He was put in a medically induced coma and resided in a long-term care facility for a long stretch so that he could get around-the-clock treatment. Eight years later, he was found unresponsive and rushed to the nearest hospital. Sadly, there wasn't anything that providers could do. His autopsy was inconclusive for a cause of death, but it's accepted knowledge that it was inadvertently caused by the freak accident that happened years earlier. This next one gets to me. I think it is a product of my claustrophobia. This one transpired at Dreamworld in Australia. The ride was Thunder River Rapids, which is designed to mimic white water rafting. This ride had great big circular rafts that could fit multiple people. On this particular day, four adults and two children were in one of the rafts. What they didn't know was that only one of the two water pumps for the ride was working. This caused the water level to drop rapidly below the acceptable line. The raft became completely lodged on the guardrails near the end of the track that were now out of the water. All right, no biggie. They should be shutting things down and coming to help soon, except there was another raft that had already been let loose. With the water level still dropping, it brought that second jumbo raft on the same path, and soon it was heading straight for the other, going at full speeds. 
The second raft booted the first one out of their way, which sent it falling off of the rails, which were now over a foot out of water. This sent that raft upside down, trapping all six inside of the choppy waves. Imagine the panic. You are in a situation that perhaps doesn't seem so dire at first. I mean, there are three other adults with you. You should be able to hoist this raft up and over you. They just didn't look that heavy, but they were. After maybe 20 seconds transpires and you're still completely underwater, you start to allow your thoughts to shift into, okay, I might die here. You smash your fists against the raft above you. You try desperately to look around you underwater, but the rough current makes it impossible. Death becomes a near certainty. After around 87 seconds, your brain forces an involuntary breath. This is unavoidable. After holding your breath for that long, carbon dioxide builds up in your blood. Your brain has almost like a chemical switch. It basically says, this is the danger zone. Mayday, you need to breathe. Once this happens, it accelerates drowning. Sadly, you would be completely conscious at this point, but definitely losing your fight and growing hazy. The only saving grace is that the two children were itty-bitty and able to escape from the raft's grasp, but they lost their parents. In the end, the park was fined $3.6 million after a long court battle, and all four adults died. I had to save the coup de grace of amusement parks for last. This particular amusement park didn't just have one or two, but at least six separate deaths. I'm talking about none other than Action Park that was in New Jersey. If you were to ask Jersey natives about this park, you'd find yourself with a huge mix of opinions. For some kids, going to this death trap and getting injured was a rite of passage, an initiation into adolescence, if you will. As for the protective parents, they would tell you it was an utter hellhole that kept their worried minds awake at night, afraid their children might sneak off to that place with friends. I know this park would have been a big ol' hell no for my dad. This amusement park was made for kids and ran by kids. That was the unofficial, or maybe even official, motto, but it was darkly accurate. It offered three separate adventure areas. You had the Alpine area, which was all dry. Motor World with a go-kart track where the kids found it funny to drive off of the track and sometimes even into the parking lot and nearby road. And of course, Water World. The first death that we know of occurred in 1980 on the Alpine slide in the Alpine area. There are similar slides still available today, but they had actual safety protocol. First thing that came to my mind when watching videos of the slide was the luge from the Winter Olympics. It featured a shallow cement track that descended several hills and made some seriously sharp turns. The participants would ride down this track in a type of plasticky sled that did have a feeble braking system, but of course, that braking system took a little skill and had to be executed by the passenger. So I'm seeing some problems already. You'd speed down this thing at various velocities, but you could really cruise. A 19-year-old man who had worked at the park for a few months the season prior was heading down the slide with some wild, out-of-control speeds. He hit not only a tight curve, but a descending tight curve and flew headfirst out of his sled. His head impacted the cement track, which caused massive trauma to his skull and brain. He was declared brain dead shortly after and had machines turned off later that same day. How did the park respond? By lying, of course. For some stupid reason, deaths that happened to workers of the park did not need to be reported. Because the man worked there in the year prior, the owner claimed that he was a current employee and actually on the job at the time of the incident, but he was only actually there as a customer. Oh, if you want to see something that is Looney Tunes, check out videos of Action Park's wave pool on YouTube. 
the waves grew well over 10 feet, and it appears that hundreds to thousands of guests were allowed in at the same time. Once the waves would really start going, every colored tube in the pool would just mash together and begin to move as if it was one giant mass. My soul fled my body when I watched the video for the first time. But nothing in that entire hellhole of an amusement park was anywhere near as deadly as that wave pool. The wave pool became the unofficial graveyard of Action Park. Two years after the Alpine Slide tragedy, a 15-year-old boy likely got smacked in the head during the chaos of flailing arms and rising waves, which sent him to the bottom of the pool where he of course drowned to death. I say of course because how the hell is anyone supposed to be able to spot someone in trouble when you can't see beyond a jumbo sheet of colored tubes? Even if you did spot someone in trouble, how are you supposed to get to them on time to save them when you have to go through a jumbo mosh pit of people? Not only did people lose their lives and become horribly injured, but kids were traumatized by this pool. New lifeguards who were children themselves were hazed by having to work in the death chair of the wave pool. It was called the death chair because it was the post that saw the most action, action that would be impossible to control by one or even 20 kids. Two years later, a Brooklyn man drowned to death after enduring trauma to the head in the wave pool. Three years after that, 18-year-old Gregory Grandchamps also drowned to death in the wave pool, similar circumstances. These are the only wave pool deaths that we know about. One of the most disturbing deaths really screams gross negligence. In 1982, a 27-year-old man accidentally tipped his kayak, something that happened commonly during the kayak experience. When he attempted to steady himself, he stepped on an exposed underwater fan, which full-on electrocuted him. He died from electrocution-induced cardiac arrest before he was ever pulled from the pool. The park owner, of course, fought this finding, claiming that the healthy, fit 27-year-old simply had a heart attack, and the electrocution was a non-factor in his death. Because the autopsy report did not note any electrical burns on the body, the owner claimed from the highest mountain that he could find that he was vindicated. Thing is, in water electrocutions, it's rare to find electrical patterns on the body. The last known death was an unusual one. Visiting a water park during the blistering hot months of summer, you wouldn't worry about cold water shock. The attraction known as the Tarzan Swing had water that was 20 to 30 degrees cooler than the rest of the park. The temps ranged from 50 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 to 16 degrees Celsius. These are temperatures that you can get hypothermia in. When a visitor jumped from the Tarzan swing from the man-made cliff into the frigid water, he suffered an immediately fatal heart attack. Cold water shock is something that can be a real threat to people who have any sort of underlying heart condition, even if that condition seems relatively benign. Sometimes people aren't even aware that they may be at an increased risk before dying to it. That's why the polar bear plunge is only recommended to people cleared by their doctors. And even still, a dangerous reaction can occur. The infamous owner of Action Park got away with these deaths and cover-ups for a while. In the 80s and 90s, regulations were a little more lax. In fact, Action Park single-handedly influenced several changes to some of these regulations. They earned the nickname Class Action Park. There is a really good documentary on HBO Max, I think it's actually called Class Action Park, about Action Park. If you ever have downtime or a rainy day, check it out because it's really good. Eventually, the owner became buried in debt after several lawsuits and had to close his doors. What a shame. It no doubt made Jersey a safer place. In 2010, the park as a whole sold to new owners. In 2014, Action Park was revived under the same name. But its reputation was now so tarnished 
the business never took off. Two years after that, the name was changed yet again, and as far as I know, still remains in operation today. However, they have actual safety protocol and adults on the premises, so you are less likely to die. If I have any Jersey listeners, I would love to hear your take on Action Park. Even if you ever took a trip just once to that park, I would find it so interesting to know how your experience was. Did you make it out with just a few scrapes, broken bones, or unscathed? I've personally had my own close call on a waterside when I was 19. I almost went spilling headfirst down the steep hard slide called the Stingray at Noah's Ark in Wisconsin Dells. Have you ever had a moment on a coaster ride where you thought to yourself, this is it, I'm about to be a statistic? Despite the safety regulations, I can only imagine how many unreported scares take place. So please reach out to me and let me know your own personal stories. Thank you, my loves, for joining me for my first episode. My next episode's going to be even more intense than this one, if you can believe it. I'm going to cover cartel killings. Yes, heavy, heavy stuff. But I hope that you had enough fun exploring death with me that you will join me again next time. Until then!